How many of you have kids or have had kids? Okay. Now, thank you for putting your hands up. For how many of you have kids changed your life? I appreciate your honesty. <laughs> Some of you might want to put up both hands and say, you know what, I'm too worn out. I can't even get my hand up. Right? Right? I, I've come across, I'm going to share a conversation with you, and I've come across this conversation in different forms many times over the years as a pastor, coming alongside individuals to help them in the area of parenting. And uh, this particular one is, the, the heart of uh, this conversation comes out of the book, um, Happily Ever After, uh, Gary Chapman's book, and he shares this story, and I've heard the same thing, and in fact, to be honest, I've felt this way too. Uh, he, he, he begins to share this story about a, a dad. He says, uh, uh, this father shared this. He said, uh, I've lost my wife, to which he responds, what do you mean? What do you mean you lost your wife, talking to this new husband? He says, uh, I lost my wife to the baby. And uh, so the pastor states, well, tell me about, what are you talking about? He says, well, we've, we've been married as a couple for three years. And, and our, our marriage was just awesome. It started off really good. We had a great relationship. And we both wanted to have a baby, and we agreed that it was time to, to, to have a child. But I didn't know that the baby was going to destroy my marriage. If I had, I would have never agreed to it. And the pastor says, well, what do you mean? What do you mean it destroyed your marriage? And, and to, to this, the young man said, he says, well, we don't really have a marriage anymore, he said. My wife's life, her life is, is focused on the baby. Uh, my life is, is focused on uh, our little baby. And it's like the two of us don't exist anymore. It's like we've become parents and we've lost our marriage. And, and then the pastor said this, well, what, what about the physical relationship? And the father says, you know what, it's non-existent, maybe two or three times since the baby came. Well, how, the pastor said, well, how, how old's the baby? And he said, well, she, uh, he turned two last Tuesday. And so the pastor said, well, have you ever talked to your wife about your feelings? To which the response is, I've tried. But it's hard to talk with her. She says that I don't understand how hard it is to rear a child and to work. I told her she could quit her job, but but she says, we can't live on just my salary. And I think we could. But there's no need to argue with her. I know it sounds selfish, but I wish I could have my wife back. And it could be like it was before the baby came. Children change the dynamics of a marriage relationship. Psalm 127 says this. Can I have the PowerPoint? Behold, you your teaching outlines, you can take it out. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a great reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gates. The same author goes on to share another story in his book, and he says this. He was approached by a, a mom. And she came and, and uh, 
she asked him the question of this pastor, so when are you going to talk about how children affect a marriage? And the pastor, you know, he's wondering, okay, what is she really wanting to know here? What's, what's really the, the focus or the emphasis? And so he says, well, well, why do you ask? Why do you ask that question? And, and she responds, I'm confused. It says in the Bible, as she points to the passage we just read in Psalm 127, sons are a heritage of the Lord. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. She went on to say, well, it may be happy for the man, (laughs) but not for the woman. I thought having a baby would pull us together and we could both be happy. But the exact opposite is true for us. Since the baby came, our marriage has fallen apart. I have to say that my experience parallels, my experience personally and as a pastor parallels with what the author is touching on here and what we want to talk about this morning. Children represent probably one of the greatest challenges in the marriage relationship. Research shows that for the mom, the greatest challenge, time of challenge is from birth to six months because she is being forced to make incredible life adjustments that are changing her focus on life. The husband, it comes a little bit later from the six to 19 month period, uh, researchers tell us, because it's during this time that the husband perceives the wife becoming critical, less supportive, and withdrawn from him physically. If you're facing these kind of challenges, I want you to know that that you're not alone. The reality is, is that children do change your marriage. And the impact doesn't stop after they're born, after that first 19 months, but rather the, the challenge of parenting continues on. And so you might think, well, if this is going to carry on until adulthood, then maybe the idea is to not even have children, maybe not even have kids. No, but that's not it. And that's not what God desires from us, and that's not what he's saying. I believe that those that do not have the privilege of having children miss out on some incredibly special blessings and in some incredible opportunities to grow. The Bible tells us that God expects us as parents, to couples, to, to, if we can, to, to be fruitful and multiply. And if you can, I understand, don't feel guilty about what I'm saying. But the Bible kind of talks about this as just what happens. And as we look at the scriptures, there's a number of references here I just want to work you through. But Proverbs 22, 6, one you've seen before, says this, Train up a child in the way he should grow, and even when he is old, he will not, not, not depart from it. (laughs) There you go. Not depart from it. Right? We see that that God's intention is is that the family would would be a training environment for these precious little people that God brings into your life. For fathers, 
he says this in the New Testament, which I believe can apply to both mom and dad, but I think it's speaking in an emphasis to dads. Do not provoke your children to anger, but look at that last part there. But bring, let's read it together. Help me out here. But bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, right? So when God talks about having kids, he's not just talking about the physical hardware working. He's talking about much more than just bringing little people into the world. He's talking about the responsibility to influence them, to shape them, to mold them, and to prepare them to the best of your abilities with God's help. Another well-known passage coming out of Deuteronomy 6, verse 7, which is after the Ten Commandments, and as God says, hey, you need to make a point to have only one God and to worship Him and to make God the priority of your life, and you need to observe these truths that He's teaching you. And then in verse 7 of Deuteronomy 6, it says this, you shall teach them, who's the them? Your kids. Teach these commandments diligently to your children. Teach these truths influence them, get them into the lives, into the hearts, into the minds of those little people that I've given to you. And you do it when you sit in the house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and and when you get up. A little bit later in Psalm 78, verse 5, we see the same emphasis here. Look at that verse with me on the PowerPoint. You don't have these on your outlines because I added these later. But it's talking about God's blessing, and he's talking about passing that faith on. And the psalmist writes and says, He established a testimony in Jacob. This is speaking to the nation of Israel down the road many years, and and appointed a law. God established testimony in Jacob, and he appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our forefathers to do what to their children? What's it say there? Come on, help me out here. What does it say? Teach. He's not saying just Don't just have a baby, but you want to shape them. But it goes beyond that. Why do we teach our kids? Why do we shape our kids? Why do we put values into their hearts and lives? Why do we teach them to say yes and no, thank you and please, to show respect for elders, to have self-control? Why do we do that? Why do we train them to work hard? It's, It's so that the next generation might know them. Know these truths. Know these principles. So you've moved from, the, from your children. You influence your children because why? You're in this for the long haul. You want to then influence the other generations that come after you. Let's be honest. If you don't impact your kids, you're probably not going to have much of an impact on any grandkids. See, it begins with you. And, and you become a, a link in the chain of what God's doing. And if you're blessed to have godly heritage before you, then you have been blessed to, to be in this link as well. And if, if you come from a situation where there is not really a godly heritage, then it's time to start a new chain and to move forward. And what do we see here? The, the commanded our fathers to teach them to their children that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God. You see, the challenge of parenting is to influence these little lives. And it's hard. It's hard. 
because it takes effort and it takes energy and, and there are times of joy, but there are also times of frustration. Those that have parented, I hope that you would say it's one of the most incredible blessings in your life, and that's what I would say. But I'll tell you something, is that it's not easy. And at times it impacts the husband and wife relationship. I came across this quote. Give me the quote on the next slide, please. I thought this was really a powerful quote. Uh, This is by Elizabeth Stowe, and she writes this. She says, the decision to have a child is momentous. It is forever to decide to have your heart go walking outside your body. Wow. How many of your parents? Doesn't that say it? I mean, because it's like a part of you goes, and they are now in control of their lives. You desire the greatest and the best blessings for them. You want to see opportunities and successes in their lives. You, you, because of the experience that you have in life, know that there are certain things that, that lead you on the right path and certain things that will pull you away from the right path and cause you to make poor decisions. And your heart is out there walking. And many times, this causes stress in the marriage relationship because of this new dynamic. But the one thing we must never forget is that our child, the children that you share together, is the result of your love for each other. This morning, I'm going to continue to make a point that I've made over and over again. And it's this. The emphasis in your marriage needs to be on your relationship, even when it comes to your children. You see, one of the most important gifts you can give to your kids is working together as a couple, especially in the area of parenting. So this morning I want to talk to you about learning to be a team parent. And you get to do that. Go ahead and write this down in your outlines. You've got to make your marriage relationship a priority. Now, and I know you've heard this before. Uh, you've heard it as we've worked through the different areas. We talked about it in, in, in how God's design for the marriage. We're going to get back to that in a second. We talked about how we need to lay down our swords. We need to work together because relationships are the key. Uh, We talked about it last week as we dealt with finances, talking about how we need to work together. uh, Together, we're one. We're not two, but we are one. We are a unit. And so this morning I want to continue by talking about how we learned a team parent, and it begins with, and we're just going to focus on this this morning, of, of making my marriage, making your marriage, making your relationship with your spouse a priority. Now, let me just kind of go a step further to to bring a little bit of clarity to this and and give you a definition, an explanation of, of what this means. It means that we will commit ourselves to our spouse as the primary relationship in our lives. What I believe the scriptures ask us to do in being teen parents is to continue to honor that commitment we made on our wedding day when we said our vows. 
You see, I'm asking you to make a relationship to make your spouse the primary human relationship in your life. And when you do this, continuing my definition, you know that the conscious choice will benefit our children, each other, and bring glory to God. You see, this is God's design. This is God's intent. Let me take you back to the very beginning where we began. Look with me at Genesis 2.18. Can I have the slide up here, please? God, when he looked at Adam in the garden, you recall the story. We've talked about this at length. He saw that it wasn't good for Adam to be alone. For the previous five days of creation, as God had done his miraculous work, creating everything that exists with his spoken word out of nothing, the universe, the planet, the earth, uh, all all of the animals and creatures and beings, as he created everything over the first five days. At the end of each day, he stood back and he looked at and he said, Wow, this is good. But when he got to the sixth day, as he was progressing through the events of what he was doing in creation on the sixth day, when he came to the point of Adam created alone, God looked at that scenario and said, Wow, this is not good. It's not good for man to be alone. And so what does he do? He says, I'm going to make a helper fit for him. Go back, get a copy of the first message. It's on, the, it's on our website. You can listen to the MP3. But, but essentially he was saying is that I'm going to provide you with a complementer, somebody that is strong where you're weak, somebody that, that enhances who you are, that enhances what you can do, somebody that will help you to fulfill all that I've asked you to do. And then we see that when he came to the creation of man, that there was these responsibilities, that Adam needed this partner, and the partner was Eve, his wife. Look at the next verse there on your outline, Genesis 127 and 128. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him male and female, and he created them. Now look at the next sentence there. And God blessed them, and then what did he say? Be what? Fruitful and and multiply and fill the earth, right? And what I want you to get here is we read that passage and we think, oh, God's just concerned about population. Well, God is concerned about population. He is about concerned about filling the earth. But as we've already seen, God is concerned about a lot more, isn't he? He's interested in the whole package And we see that part of God's original intent for Adam and Eve is that they would take the responsibility as a team, a husband and wife, as complementers in raising the children that God would bless them with. It's all in God's design. And then if you skip down to verse 31, it says this, And God saw everything that he had made, Uh, talking about the end of the six days, overall, everything he made. And it says this, and it was terrible. Is that what it says? What's it say? Very good. Very good. Yeah, very good. Say very good. Very good. It wasn't just good. It was what? Very good. Yeah. 
You see, everything God had created was very good. This very goodness includes, encompasses the responsibilities that He had given to Adam and Eve, caring for the planet, managing it, as well as being fruitful and multiplying and filling the earth and and, and influencing these, these little people that God would give out of the union between Adam and Eve and every generation of couples after that. What it means in God's sight is that once you're married, you become a family. Find a place to write this down. I say this all the time. I want to squeeze it in here. But children do not make you a family. You know, in our culture today, we'll say, well, I think it's time for us to have a family. Well, theologically and biblically speaking, that's not totally accurate. We understand what you mean. But in God's sight, when Adam and Eve came together, they were a family. They were already a family as a husband and wife. All that the little people did was expand the family. All that that did was add to their family. And so we see that in God's sight, once you're married, you become a family. And so there's a lot of things that we're going to talk about in teen parenting here in a minute, some practical stuff. Uh, But what I want you to see is, is that the priority for you as couples in your marriage is your spouse. That's not saying your kids aren't important. They're very important. But your relationship with your spouse should be the first human relationship in your life. And the benefit will come to you, your kids, as well as to the glory of God as a result. So, Carol, did you want to do this now? Can I drag you up here? Okay. I'll give you a microphone. Can I get five bucks? Uh-huh. <laughs> I'll tell you what, I don't That's have the a, Parkinson rule. I don't have a five. How about a 20? <laughs> You're worth it. <laughs> so we're just going to talk about some things. So I'm thinking of an illustration back when um, we had Amy. Tell us just in nice ways. She may listen to the tape, so we've got to be careful. Tell us, some, so tell us some of the challenges we had with Amy. So Amy was our third. We had just lost um, twins, and we were ecstatic um, when we finally um, delivered Amy and brought her home. Um, she was a beautiful, fiery, red-headed little girl from the beginning. Emphasis on fiery, huh? Uh, for sure. Yeah. And um, life went on for the first couple and I don't remember if it was the first two, three months, four months into it. And I thought, if God ordained children, something is not right here. Because as much as I loved our little one, she, she was a joy to our family. But it wasn't what I thought that God had planned. And so we went searching. Well, before we get to that... Um she was one of those babies that we couldn't get to stop crying. Well, she didn't stop crying, and she never slept. Put the two together. Yeah, kind of contributed to each other, right? Exactly. And, and I thought I knew how to do everything because I, of course, was the nurse, and so I thought I had it figured out, but nothing worked. Yeah, that's good. So we went asking for help. We asked those who we um, respected, those who had families, those who we felt like really um, 
had done a great job with their family. Now, one of the things that we've learned over the years is that we've stopped offering unsolicited parenting advice. Why is that? Parenting is an extremely, um, what's the word I want? Private, personal. Private, personal. Prideful. Prideful yeah. thing for every individual, whether you're a mom, whether you're a dad. And so when you don't ask for help, you really don't want help. You think you might, but at least I didn't at that point. Well, the other side of it, too, is some people will ask for help, but they really don't want to change. Exactly. Right? They just want to, they want you to tell you, tell them that what they're doing is okay. Right. Or give them a sugar coat, which yeah, doesn't right. work. Right. A silver bullet kind right. of a thing. So. So. But, but we, well, we really wanted help. We did. I mean, we were looking. I was begging for help. <laughs> right. Right. And so we started a Bible study. We did. Right. And we found there were other couples that felt the way that we felt. So we were introduced to this um, material, and because it wasn't being taught, we said, hey, we'll do it. Come over to our house. We had about, I think, five or so um, join us, and we, we launched it. Yeah, and we did the Bible study because we wanted it, exactly. right? right? The other people were just... They were our friends. They were our friends, so, right. yeah. We needed some help, a lot of help. Go ahead. Do you want me to do my part on that, or do you want to do your part on that? The next part. Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> this is good. This is good. So I remember it like it was really yesterday. Amy is 25 years old. And we were sitting in this first class. And um, I could have told you that I knew the biblical principle, that Joe is the head of the home, that he was to be the leader. But I wasn't practicing that. And by that I mean I had adopted our world's philosophy, our secular philosophy, my medical philosophy, that me, the mom, really was the only one that really knew how to take care of my baby. I would listen to him, but I thought I was the only one that knew how. Well, obviously that wasn't working, because it wasn't working. But it was an aha moment for me when I realized that I had mentally, subconsciously, however you want to say it, I'd pushed him out. Basically, I had said in my heart, he's a big boy. He can take care of himself. He can go sleep on the couch. He can go earn the money. I'm taking care of my child. And in doing so, I had completely stripped him of his role in our family. And even though Amy was only a few months old, it impacted our family. It impacted her hugely because we were not a team. I was not allowing Joe to leave. Yeah. And I had to come to him and apologize. And that was the beginning of a change in our family. Well, and what kicked it off was, and by the way, as I am a big boy and I didn't mind sleeping on the couch if that's what was needed, but but what had happened is that over time, because of this, I don't know where it comes from, but this idea that mom has got this instinct or intuition on how to raise the kids, the dad just kind of gets pushed out. And as a dad, you finally just say, well, okay, I'll just, I'll just do what I got to do. I'll support you in this. I'll do whatever. But what happens is that in the relationship is it, is it distances. And, and we, we, call this, we call this philosophy a child-centered focus, which is the predominant model that we use in our culture today where the kids become the focus in our lives. 
But what happens is that, is those quotes, as we're sharing here, we, we separate it. And so listening to the series, they, they wanted, there was a, uh, we were working through it, and, and I can't remember if it was a man or a, a wife, but the, it was shared that the husband said, and I feel like I'm not even, I'm not even part of the family. And to, told Carol, she said, yeah, that's how I feel. And she was just shocked. What do you mean you don't feel part of the family? And it was because, as she had focused on what she had been trained to do as a nurse, which I don't think was necessarily biblical, what had happened is that it was pushing us apart. And so we, we learned a lot of things. That, that was part of the growing process, and God has done those aha moments a lot for both of us in different areas and different ways and different uh, shapes. And, uh, and so I want to talk about some essentials for team parenting and, uh, and, and so I, I kind of use some of uh, Gary's material. I've added to it ourselves. Um, but if you want to write these down, these are just some practical things that a couple... Uh, when we first started, we told people, listen, we need help. We're not, we're not going to tell you how to do it because we're figuring this out ourselves. But I will tell you, though, that after raising five kids, I believe that we do have experience that we can help you with if you're interested. And, and here, these are some of the things that, that uh, we've learned and have helped us out. The first one is, what is it here? Can you see it? It's on the screen over there, too. Pray together. It's to make time for each other, right? And that happens by doing what? Praying together? Praying together. Um, Joe's made a commitment in our relationship that he ends our day praying. And I know sometimes that's hard for him because we might be fighting, in all honesty. It's hard to pray together when you're not getting along. Very um, hard. Very hard. <laughs> I knew that when we prayed together, when he took that relationship, um, he was taking that leadership role seriously. And we could pray about issues with our kids. And I tell you, when there's issues with your kids and you're praying together, you're an art. You're 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 a whole lot stronger as a result. Um, and I felt like I could conquer anything as a result of that. Because there's a lot of times that you don't know what to do. You can't, you can't take a class, you can't buy a book that tells you the answers to all the situations you're going to face. You have to build a, a, a principle-based philosophy of parenting that then your principles will direct you. But a lot of that time we were spending praying because we would deal with attitudes and behaviors that we didn't care about. We're really hot up here. I don't know what's going on. Uh, Tina, if you can fix it. The mics are really hot. Um, and... Uh, and so we, um, I lost my train of thought, but uh, we prayed about it, prayed about it. This next one now, we, we don't actually f- literally do this, right? We call it what? Couch time. We should be doing it, but we do. Um, couch time. Um, what that means is so often um, when dad comes home from, I'll just take, you know, from working all day, Mom's busy. She's getting supper on. The kids are doing their thing, um, running around the house. He comes in, and typically, I think in many households, Dad will come in. He'll do a quick hi to the mom, and then he'll go hang out with the kids and talk to them, play with them, whatever, until um, it's time for dinner. Um, reverse that. When Dad comes home, say hi to the kids, and then Mom and Dad go spend some time together. They're not going to like that for a while because they want that, that attention that they're used to getting. But that sets the tone in your home, that mom and dad's relationship is what? The priority relationship. And you just sit on the couch or at the table. It doesn't have to be on the couch. 
Um, we would do it at the dining room table, and right. we would just take five, ten minutes and just check in with each other. Yes. And that's hard when they're little, but let me tell you, when they get to be teenagers, it's even harder because everybody's going in different directions, but the kids need to see it. It's not something you do when everybody's gone. You do it when they're home so that they see mom and dad connecting together. Just real quickly on this, a couple other things were big proponents of date nights, you know, trying to work that out to, to do date nights together. Uh, we understand the struggle of it because our schedules are so crazy, but uh, we make it, a, make it a priority. And, and the other thing I would write down here is romantic getaways. Um, I, I'm, my heart breaks over the number of stories we hear from young couples when they have children that have not gotten away on a romantic getaway for, for sometimes it's a year or two years, but sometimes it's even five or six years. They have not been away as a couple on a romantic getaway. And you need those times if your relationship's going to be a priority to reconnect. Okay. Second thing here. Go ahead. Real quickly, I wouldn't have made that happen. Credit to Joe. He always made a point for us to get away, if not any other time, for our anniversary every year. And let me tell you, it was a hassle because the demons came out in our children and everything else went wrong. But once we got away... Did the demons come out in me too? Yeah. <laughs> But it was worth it. But it wouldn't have happened if I, I wouldn't have planned it. So thank you. And if you don't have kids, these are still great tips for your, your relationship. They really are. You don't have to have kids to, to pray together, have couch time, date nights, and romantic getaways. In fact, some of you probably don't have kids anymore or you, you, know, you haven't had kids. This is a great, these are great things to put into practice. We've kind of already touched on this, but um, uh, the second thing is to learn from others right? You, you got to learn from others. And, um, and let me encourage you to um, seek out those that have experience. When Carol and I were looking for help, we looked to those families that we respected, those that, whose kids were respectful, uh, and, and we strove to learn from those. I mean, you can listen to your peers, but everybody's in the same boat at that point, and they're just, they, they really don't know. They have an idea or an opinion, but uh, we really looked to those that, um, that we felt they were where we would like to be with our family. And I would encourage you to learn from others. There's a lot of great resources out there. Uh, can I be honest as well? There's a lot of junk. There is a lot of stuff on parenting out there. There's a, there's a plethora, to use a big word, of material. And even the Christian stuff is filled with psychologically based stuff, uh, and uh, it, it really doesn't take your child to where God would want them to be. And, and I'm just going to leave it at that. But seek out help. There's, there's families, there's people around you that, you know, that have, have gone through it and uh, can be a great encouragement. Just a side note there, be willing to hear them. If you're going and asking for help, be ready for them to tell you the hard stuff. And apply it because that's ultimately going to help bring the change. Well, that's good because so often we just want to whine on somebody's shoulder and we don't really want to get better. Right. If, you, you know, if you really talk to somebody, be really willing to listen to what they say and, and apply some of the suggestions they offer. The third thing is, um, you want to read this one? Mm -hmm. Right there, yeah. Deal with issues privately. In other words, don't discuss the issue in front of your kids. And I'm saying that from us having done that but also from hearing others do that. You cannot be um, discussing 
the issue and what you're going to do or arguing over it in front of your kids because they're going to dance circles around you and they're just going to break down that husband and wife relationship and that that fortitude um, that comes with that yeah it, it's so important so what we'll do is um, you develop code words you develop techniques in your marriage so we have a guy like a code word code word and our code word is when we get to an area that's kind of sensitive one of us will say can I talk to you in the bedroom and that's the code word that hey we need to take a step aside and deal with this and so that's been our practice as we, we go privately. And what you're doing when you do that is that you're bringing a unified front to your kids. Mom and dad are having a chance to work through their issues and then come out and say as a family, as a team, as one, not as two, this is what we're going to do or this is the direction we're going to go. And I mean, it, it, it's, 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 it's involved big stuff, discipline, but it's also involved choices like if they're going to go to a sleepover or do an event or what's going to happen there, we, we, will, we will consult privately, and then we'll come up and uh, tell the kids, okay, that's what we're going to do together. Um, so often it's easy to say, go talk to mom, go talk to dad, right? But then they pit us against each other. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. Our lovely kids. Can you believe that? <laughs> <laughs> They'll tell you that too, so by the way, if you ask them. The other, thing with, uh, the other thing with your relationship is really avoid undermining your spouse. I talk about this a lot when I counsel new couples that are getting married. But it's very easy for women when they get together to badmouth their husbands. Don't do it. It's easy for guys to get together to crack jokes about their wives. Don't do it. You're a team. You're one. You know what? If that happens, just smile and walk away. Don't get sucked into bad-mouthing your spouse because it does nothing to help your relationship. It does nothing. It only, Satan uses that to undermine it, to erode at it and go from there. Here's the next one. Uh, let me deal with this one. It's, uh, you got to agree on how you're going to discipline. And scripturally speaking, discipline is not spanking. Discipline involves uh, the whole package of child training, whether it's instruction whether it's an encouragement, uh, and it also includes correction. As a couple, if, if, you don't, if you don't work out a philosophy on your, your, your training of your children, and it goes beyond that, there's a philosophy involved, um, you, it's going to become a major stressor in your relationship because one parent's going to correct one way, one's going to correct the other. I, I can't tell you the number of, of marriages I've counseled in where dad will say something and mom will undermine him and do the opposite, or mom will say something and dad will undermine and do something different. And all you're doing there is, is that you're, not, you're, you're killing your relationship when you do that. Uh, but there's, there's, good, there's good, good resources out there, but I'll just leave it at that. You've you got to work that out. Wherever you decide to, to land on that, you've got to work it out. How about the next one? Take family times to priority. Um, once again, Joe is the one that took the lead on that because I was busy doing all the busy stuff that moms do. And I'm so thankful um, because that is what our family, um, I don't know if I should say known for or we know ourselves for. A couple of years ago, I'll just give this illustration because I think it hits home. All of our kids were home, um, and we knew that that time might be very um, fast approaching where we're not all together because they're getting married, they're moving away, they're in college, whatever. Yeah. And I noticed something at our table. 
Now in our table, we have, I think, four leaves. And so our table goes like this, and our table goes like this. And so our table was all the way out this one year. And I said to Joe afterwards, I said, did you notice something about what happened at dinner tonight? And he's like, what? Nobody wanted to leave the table. All of our adult children were there. Um, Son-in-law was there. Potential daughter-in-law was there. And we all just sat there. And I don't know how long it was, but we were just telling story after story. And the ki one kid would say, remember when we did this? Remember when that happened? Remember that hike to the Grand Canyon? And we were reliving. The kids were rel reliving our family times. Yeah. And that just, it was just one of, again, those aha moments of how critical family time is together in the life of your family and keeping you together. Yeah. And um, family time was not an option in our home. I, I mean, I know a lot of parents today that they'll have kids that choose not to participate in family time. I think you have to work through that the right way, but it needs to be mandatory. Um, and so uh, we, had, we had a dinner time. Uh, one of the lost, uh, lost components in the American family is, is uh, dinner at the table and dinner time. Um, We've made that a priority, and I'll tell you, that's what Carol's talking about. It's all those years of us connecting over dinner. How'd your day at school go? How did this happen? What's happening there? Uh, just the normal everyday life stuff builds relationships around the, the family dinner table, and and we've made it, we've made it a priority. In fact, when one of our child children came home from college, they were on a different schedule, and I'd ask them, say, you know what? While you're here at home, I want you to be at dinner. Well, I just ate because they would get off on a schedule. They'd eat breakfast late, eat lunch late, and they weren't hungry at dinner. I said, well, I don't care if you eat, but you need to be at the table. And they said, sure, Dad, I can do that. And, and uh, because that is a priority to us. Um, family nights are, you know, we had times where we did family nights where not everybody was there. But as a rule of thumb, you didn't get a pass on family night to go play on your Xbox. I'm sorry. This is a family night. We're spending time together. Uh, the other thing that, that became a priority was supporting each other as a family. So in our homes, we played a lot of soccer, and uh, the kids played a lot of soccer, and so we would go to events. In fact, um, Emily's boyfriend came home, and he says, I'm just surprised that when Sarah had a soccer game, that all of you, all of you would just pack up in the car and go to the game, because it was so foreign to him. But it's just part of that, that dynamic of, of building your family, of and mom and dad set the tone for that. The other thing is, the big one is family vacations. And I know when you're younger, you, your family vacations wind up being going to visit mom and dad because we did that a lot. They helped us with some of the expenses to get back there. But at some point, you got to branch off and do your own family vacations. And, uh, and uh, for us, that was an incredible building time. I hear parents all the time that say, oh, I can't imagine being in my, with my kids in the car driving for two days. That would kill me. You know what happens in that situation? is that you grow together. Yeah, the first half day or so, it's, it's, it's a battle. But then everybody kind of comes to the realization, you know what, we're stuck here for the next two or three days driving to Pittsburgh or driving back. And they begin to get along. And the relationship begins to develop. And so those are some highlights for us. Well, and what Joe did on this too is we would visit family because all of his family's back east. And they didn't come to visit us in those early years. And so we saved. They did help us. Um, we had the 18-passenger van. We loaded it up. Um, but we always made all the time. It was 15. 15, 18, whatever. <laughs> it's all the same. It was packed. Um, but what, we, what he planned is that we would do our family events 
on the road. So we would stop for a day and we'd go to whatever the site was. We'd go visit little house on the prairie places because our kids were reading the, the, um, the, books. the books. Thank you. Yeah. Um, or we would go on a hike. That was our family time before we got to the big family time. And those are the things we talk about. And, of course, then we were all excited to get to family, but we had incorporated our own dynamic along the way. And the last thing I would just throw out here as we wrap it up, I'm going to have the worship team come and get ready. Um, we, we had a family routine. One of the best things you can do is have a routine. Now, not everybody's routine is the same. Some people are, are laid back. Some people are more intense in a good way, right? And... Uh, you have to work that out for your family, but you need to have a routine. It keeps the family together, meal times. Uh, we, had, we had curfews, bedtimes for our kids. And by the way, our bedtimes were based on age. It was based on maturity. So the older kids could stay up later than the younger kids could. But if they couldn't handle it the next morning, right, they lost that privilege. If, if, if they got to stay at a later time and they, they were a crab the next morning, which often happens is they would stay up with dad and have fun, then they, would, they could lose that privilege. Um, uh, meal times. Um, and then we would also teach flexibility. So like uh, Carol would go and I would watch the kids. And so Carol had her routine and I might tweak it a little bit and we taught them to be flexible, didn't we? How'd we do that? So I'm probably the more rigid one of the two. He's the more flexible one. And we had our skeleton routine but then when I was gone because I would work twice a month um, he would be in charge and they would say but dad mom doesn't do it this way and he's like tough I'm doing it this way That's I'm right. dad and it wasn't undermining me it was just letting them know that we can do things differently within that skeleton and they had to respect him for it well and what we were also doing is we were preparing our kids so whenever other people might be helping us out and watching them that our kids wouldn't be snots by telling <laughs> whoever, well, that's not how you do it, right. right? We were preparing them to, to learn that, hey, there's different ways to do it, and if Mrs. Smith does it that way, that's okay. the way, it, that's the right way to do it. Yeah. Okay, well, thanks, honey. Give me a kiss. Yeah, give her a round of applause for putting up with me. We're going to sing a song and receive our offering in just a minute, but I just really want to encourage you to be a team parent to, to work together, I, I want to just encourage you to make your marriage, your spouse, the priority relationship in your life. Could you do that? That's what God desires for you. And when you get to that place, everything else is going to trickle down from that. We're going to have a ministry fair afterwards. I'd encourage you to check out some of the booths, uh, maybe see some areas where you, God might be wanting you to help out around here. That would be awesome. But I'm going to I want to uh, read a, a, a poem and then I'm going to pray and then we're going to close with this song but just listen to this prayer it's uh it's a it's a song that's uh a poem by uh Adolf Koff I tracked down the the author of it it says this listen to this each little child God sends our way is like a piece of soft new clay tis ours to mold and shape and trim to make it pleasing unto him each little thing we do or say makes an impression day by day on every growing mind and heart, forming a pattern from the start. Oh, what a solemn trust is ours, how we must guard those precious hours. To, to soon this clay 
will be a stone. Our chance is gone. Our child has grown. Lord, I stop to thank you for the truth of your word. Pray that you might use it not only to instruct us, but to encourage us and challenge us. Father, I know that this text speaks to, to all of us here. It reminds us of the value and importance of relationships. It reminds us of the priority that we need to place on our relationship with our spouse. We're not neglecting our kids when we take this position. Actually, we are blessing and benefiting them because they will derive an incredible benefit from the security that comes, the stability that's brought into the home because of mom and dad's relationship. Help us to take something away from this message. Help us to make a decision right now to to work on one thing as we go out of here. Thank you again for today to worship you. Thank you for your word. Just thank you for the privilege of being here. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, let's stand and close and sing. Our men are going to come and receive our offering. If you have a tear-off, you can do that. Be sure to visit the table in the back as well. So I'm trying to pick a song on raising kids. I was thinking Amazing Grace.